Hello and welcome to Keep Right On, the Birmingham City podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. I'm Brian Dick and I'm joined as ever by our Blues reporter Alex Dickin. Hi Alex. Hello Brian. I'm also delighted to say, uh, not that Alex isn't enough for all of us, but I'm <laughs> delighted to say I'm joined by a very special guest, a former Birmingham City player and manager, Gary Rowett who might just have a little bit more time on his hands than he would normally have, having uh, would normally be the case, having recently left Millwall after four years, which in management terms is centuries. In a previous life, during his time in charge at St Andrews, he also spent a couple of years answering stupid questions from me. And despite that, he's kindly agreed to field some more. Gary, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Keep Right On. And uh, first up, how are you enjoying yourself with your, your nose not quite so firmly at the grindstone, assuming it's not? No, it's a pleasure to join you guys, first and foremost. And, and um, you know, I definitely can't remember too many stupid questions, Brian. <laughs> um, you might, you be revi- might be revising that opinion in about 20 minutes, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, but I've been away a long time, so maybe, maybe my memory's <laughs> as good as it used to be. Yeah, just, just doing what most people do when, you know, you've left a... Look, I, I, I never... I'm always sort of remiss to say stressful job um you know i think it's a it's, it's a great job it's a it's a privilege to be a manager one of very few managers head coaches in in, in professional football so um but it, but you know it's 24 7 so you know having spent four years traveling up and down the motorway to to london and back because my family are based in derbyshire um it's nice to be back home it's nice to wake up in your own bed it's nice to be able to take you one of your kids to school because I've only got one young enough to actually go to school anymore, which is quite a sad indictment of how old I am. But um, yeah, and, and nice to do a few different things. So, so enjoying enjoying the breather. Who knows how long it will be? Um, and and happy to to chat to you guys um, today. Big five zero next year, Gary. Why did you have to mention that? This is <laughs> you brought a page. I'm going to start. Yeah, I'm going to start saying what I really think about the questions now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, fine, though, yeah. I'm not, like most blokes, I'm trying not to think about it really. If I if I ever get there, you know, I'll, I'll let you know how I feel. Um, Gary, what what have you what have you been up to? I'm I'm sure it just hasn't been a case of dog walking and and taking kids to school. Uh, no doubt you've been you've been keeping up to date with with championship football and you know probably premier league football and probably even european football as well what 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 do you what do you do how, how do you keep yourself in touch yeah i mean there's different ways of keeping in touch but i think also you have to try and relax and spend a bit of time doing the things you want to do as well so um you know i'm i'm, I'm a keen runner i always have been it keeps me away from thinking 24 7 obviously i did um i did london um for the doyle family you know, to raise money when i was at blues and that, that kind of started it a little bit um, a week after I left Millwall, I did the Battersea Marathon. My kids did the half marathon. So that was quite nice to go there without having to think about travelling. I think that the game was Preston away. So I would have had to travel from Preston away the night before to get there. And so, so it's nice to just do something without the thought of the stress of a result or standing on the sideline, you know, the day before. Little bits planned. My kids are going skiing in January. My, my son does Valencia Marathon in December. So again, doing things that you can't normally do, but... But in terms of staying in touch with the game and results, I don't think you're ever too far away from that, are you? I mean, I'm a, I'm such a, um, I'm such a fan of football. It's such a passion of mine. But watching games um, on TV, whether that's Championship, whether that's Premier League, you know, is just what you do. It's just what you do for entertainment. It's what you do. Um, I don't watch it from a professional aspect all the time. Sometimes I switch on 
you know, the Chelsea, the Chelsea game the other night, Chelsea Man City, I just switched it on and watched it. You know, I wasn't sat there tactically um, trying to work out. Of, of course, I'm not going to tactically try and work out what Pep's doing and criticise it for, for one. But secondly, you know, you can just watch it for fun and enjoyment. So, um, and then plenty of media commitments, which I'm fortunate enough to be able to do, um, which which gives me that chance to be part of it anyway. It gives me a chance to watch lots of championship matches. So, yeah, you know, those things are really, really important. And those things are great opportunities to, to stay in touch with the game. Gary, are you, are you eager to get back in quickly? And um, what kind of next job would appeal to you? I think it's always difficult to... Um, to put a timeline as a manager when you're out of work. I, I don't think it's the sort of thing that you you can do. When I left Birmingham originally, I was three months out of work. I got mm. offered a job the next day. And, you know, it's always it's always that temptation to try and get back in as quick as you can because there's a fear of, I don't want to be out of work. I think as you get a little bit more experienced, you, you learn that actually sometimes making those, sometimes having a little breather, stepping away a little bit and, and being able to sort of at least assess the opportunities that might come your way or might not come your way. You know, after Stoke, I was out for nine months. If it's the right opportunity, I would go in back in tomorrow and manage. Mm. You know, no problem doing that energy-wise or, or commitment-wise. Um, but at the same time, I'm happy to stay out of it for a little while if it means getting the right, um, the right chance and the right club at the right time. And, and, and the problem as a manager is, you know, that could be, that could be a day, that could be a week, that could be two years. You know, that that's a holding your nerve and, and knowing what you want next, really. So, so yeah, I suppose I'm fortunate enough. This isn't my first job or my second job where I'm desperate to not be out of work for long. You know, I've, I've, I've been here before, so I think I've learned to, to be perhaps a little bit more patient. We were doing some research yesterday and noticed that, you know, when you finished a full championship season, you've you've not been outside the uh, the top 11 at Millwall. It was 8th, 11th, 9th and 8th. Uh, obviously finished 6th at Derby as well, 2 tenths placed at Blues. Um, do you feel like, based on those stats, that you're due probably, a, I'll say, a bigger job, something that can get you into those top six places again? No, I think that... I think football's so difficult because it changes so quickly. I mean, you, you're seeing at the moment, a, you know, a cycle of lots of young managers, lots of young managers that perhaps are more or, or a co- you know, been or more seen as more as coaches. I think it's difficult sometimes, and I put myself in a slightly more experienced bracket. That if you look at your body of work, I think over a long period of time at different clubs, you can't get success or you can't get those type of finishes without being a good coach, without being a good organiser, without um, being a good tactician. So I think that sometimes, you know, you have to you have to accept what your next job might be um, and you have to accept where you think that might that job might be and, and, and look at that as whether you're prepared to take those jobs now. So, you know, I know, for example, realistically, I'm not going to go and jump into a Premier League. I know people have done it, but I'm not going to jump into a Premier League job. I'm not going to jump into probably a top, top championship job. So therefore, you know which clubs realistically are the ones that you probably would take. What what I've always said is, you know, for me, it's about the club having a clear vision. It's about the club having a little bit of ambition in their own right. You know, it doesn't have to be a massive club, but it has to be a club that really wants to at least try to achieve something um, rather than just survive. And and also, you have to be excited by it. Now, sometimes you could be more excited by a club in League One than you can be with a club in a different division. Do you know what I mean? So it doesn't necessarily... I've never put a limitation or a, a 
or a box around, you know, what type of club would be the right one next. And of course, as a manager, sometimes you can't pick and choose. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to see what's available. Do you think, Gary, that it would be a case of if you if you are to get to Premier League, I, I'm inferring that, that that is still the ambition everyone wants to manage at the, at the top level, right? Yeah, do you know what? I've never had that as my ambition. It's funny right. because I've had a lot of people said to me, you know, you must want to manage, you know, like when I was sort of, you know, at Blues and we were going really, really well, it was, you know, um, at one stage, I think there was only really like four or five young England managers out there or, you know, at that mm. level. And people say, oh, you must want to manage England or must want to manage in the Premier League. I've never had that as a set ambition. I got offered a, I got offered Stoke when I was at Derby, six months after I was at Derby in the Premier League. So, you know, I've had an opportunity to take a Premier League job. I turned it down for different reasons, you know. Uh, and I don't think that's ever been my ambition. My, my ambition's always been, I think like most of us in football, to keep at least feeling like you're moving forward, feel like you're learning and feel like most importantly that you're enjoying it. Mm. I think that's... That's the biggest challenge. I think if football ever becomes a chore, certainly football management, which it can do at times and any job can do at times. But I think sometimes that's when you that's when you perhaps feel it's the right time to move on. So so that's always been my aim. My ambition has always been to enjoy what I do. And wherever that takes me, that takes me. I've been so lucky to manage with clubs that I've managed, you know, and and, um, and hopefully that's that's uh, you know not not gonna stop anytime soon. I remember the, the couple of years you had at Blues quite fondly. Now, now it's probably fair to say that the um, the, the ownership situation was suboptimal. Um, but in, in terms of what you got going on the pitch, it, it did fit that, that description that you've just had there. It, you know, it, 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 you did seem to be progressing. How do you look back on, on those couple of years in, in charge, Gary? You, you'll, you'll have obviously had more of a, a fuller picture than me just looking at, at results and what was happening on the pitch. But how do you look back on... The, the madness, I guess, that might have been going going around at the time. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Firstly, you know, as a as an ex player at Birmingham, you know, it, it was an exciting time for me. I was at Burton at the time, and of course, I've had a couple of opportunities at Championship level, but not felt as though it was the right one. And then when Birmingham came in, you know, I remember getting the call, and somebody said, "Wow, have you seen the Birmingham result?" And I said, "No, it eight nil. I think it was eight one or whatever it was." And and um, I was like, "What? They've won eight nil." thinking, well, I've got no chance of getting the job now. It's a no-loss state. And I was like, wow. Um, and I think everyone saw, that as, everyone saw that as a negative, really. I saw that as a huge positive because if you're a manager going in somewhere, and certainly you'd rather go in when they've just been defeated heavily because the only way is up. I could lose the next game 6-0 and it'd be an improvement. <laughs> so, first of all, there was a huge excitement for me going to the club. It was the first time I'd managed at championship level. And there was always that little bit of, can we do this? Can we do what we did at Burton? And can we ta- transfer it to... To Birmingham, and that was it. I look back and I remember those first few days. There was things that we did early on that really changed the culture. I think I remember. Um, I remember just a little story, and I'm sort of digressing a little bit from the performance and everything. But these things are just as important. So I'd heard that the meeting room had become quite a stressful place previously. You know, I suppose like you do when you lose a lot of games, when there's a lot of finger pointing, there's a lot of negativity and the players would go in the meeting room and be sort of thinking, God, we're going to get hammered again or shown something, a video nasty. So the first, I think it was the first time we went in there, um, we'd been measured for suits. I'll try and shorten the story. We've been measured for suits and you know Big Sailor, obviously Big Sailor, the guy had come up and looked at sailing gear and go, yeah, I've got your measurements. So Sailor was like, are you sure that you want to actually measure me? He went, no, 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 I've got them. 
he tried this suit on and this suit well i've never seen anything like it before. it was like a short sleeve suit i've never i've never seen it. it was about six inches up his arm about six inches up his leg and as he tried it on i looked at him and he went no no i went yeah and he knew exactly he'd worked with me before he knew exactly what was happening so so anyway so we, we were about to start this meeting with all the players in there you know it was relatively new we hadn't had too many meetings and uh, I said, is everyone in here? And I got one of his staff at the back to say, no, Sadie's not in here. So I've opened the door and obviously at, at Lost Hills, the corridor wasn't too far away from the other room. I said, Sadie, are you coming in? So Sadie's walked down the corridor and honestly, he's, he's walked in this room and obviously he's about six foot seven. And the players could not stop laughing, honestly. Darren Randolph was still laughing two hours later in training. And, and I don't know whether the players would look back and just think that was a bit of humour, but for us, it was it was a, it was an icebreaker. It was almost to let them know this is going to be fun. This is this is we're going to be relaxed. We're going to have a good fun. But but then after that also follows the structure. And and um, you know I think very very quickly we got the team believing. I, rem- I remember the Watford game. You know I think it was our yeah we played Wolves first game didn't we and yeah, they were top yeah. of the league to get, a, to get a clean sheet and a nil nil away from home was was fantastic. We rode our luck a little bit. We had to defend, but but was great. And then the next game, I think the club, the team hadn't won for a long, long time at home. So so to get that first win so soon and to feel the atmosphere, I've got to be honest, that was one of the mm. standout moments in football for me. Um, and I've managed over 500 games now, but it was such a great feeling. There was a belief in the stadium. There was an excitement in the stadium and, and the players you know, finally felt they could win games at home. So, so yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant sort of opening feeling for me as Birmingham manager. And then it was actually quite easy, Brian. I mean, you know, if you think about the ownership at the time, um, there was only really Panos as sort of representative of the owners. Um, most of my day-to-day stuff was with, um, with Jules, with Joe, um, with with Roger, Gary, you know, the four of those guys were absolutely brilliant, and they kept kept the place together around that time. And and um, you know, along with Panos, I had a good relationship with Panos as well. You know, and, and mm. there was a lot of positivity, and there was a lot of what can we do to help you. You know, there's real limitations on what we could spend. I remember, you know, when I went in, my budget. If you think now to championship budget, my budget was I could bring one player in on five grand a week, and we brought Michael Morrison in, of, of course. Yeah. Um, which turned out to probably be a better sign than even I'd hoped it would. So, so when I look back to that job, and, the, and it was probably a harder job than even I thought it was, because I was so young and enthusiastic, I probably didn't see it like that. Maybe that was a maybe that was why we had that success, particularly in that first first season. Yeah, I've got a Mark Sale story as well. Um, I'm sure we've got time for it. it, it, it he was um, on loan at Plymouth Donkeys years ago now. And uh, I, I'd gone to watch Plymouth uh, play at uh, Chester, it was, and uh, in the pub afterwards. And this, this Plymouth fan came up to me, clearly thinking I was Mark Sale. And he, he said, uh, oh, well played. Um, and, I, and in a rare moment of insight, I instantly knew what that he'd made a mistake and he thought I was Mark Sale. So I went, yeah, cheers. Thanks, mate. And he goes, uh, can I buy you a pint? So wow. I, I, I allowed him to buy me a couple of drinks on the pretense that I was Mark Sale. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm meeting him for a coffee Friday, so I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him <laughs> that story. Point it goes you two points. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, yeah, it shows my level of ambition if I'm choosing Saley to, to impersonate, <laughs> doesn't it? But, yeah, two tenth place finishes, pretty much uniformly positive. Was there a glass ceiling, Gary, just in terms of taking that next step and break, breaking into the 
into the playoffs? No, I don't think there was. I think I, re I remember distinctly, um, you know, the new owners were very, very keen to to, uh, to push forward. And, and, and one thing I'd said along the way, I remember having a meeting. I remember having a meeting with them and meeting them for the first time uh, at St. Andrews. And, and it was, you know, typically new owners saying, right, this is what we can, you know, we can give you this, we can give you that, we can give you that. And it was all, you know, it was all these really quite extreme things. And I said, look, to take the next step, you know, it's really, really simple because you have to think about the two years prior and the people that have worked really, really hard to get to that point. And I've seen it a lot with these clubs and I saw it at Blues afterwards where, you know, someone will go, right, to get better, let's go and get this player who's on three times more than anyone else. Hmm. And that's going to make the difference. Well, the challenge with that is, all the people have worked really hard and now looking at that player and they're actually feeling like they haven't been rewarded. So there's a real negativity in doing that if you're not careful. So all I said is, look, we need to bring players in on the next level. And we had some brilliant, brilliant targets. I remember at the time, I think we were looking at Johnny Russell, Aaron Moy, a couple of other players. And there were some really exciting players that we felt could, could take us to the next level. Mm. But along with that, I also said, look, you then need to reward the players that are here you know, that have done so well. People like Michael Morrison, you know, that had been on relatively low championship money, but you needed to, 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 to get them somewhere in between. And the same with the staff. I said, you know, if, again, if you're going to come in and spend lots of money, I think a really good way would be to reward the staff that had been there, you know, because again, people have worked very hard. We had some brilliant, brilliant stuff. You know, the, the medical team were fantastic. Um, the sports science team were fantastic. You know, we had some really, really good people and there was a great synergy at the club at the time. So, and I think in some ways that was kind of a start of probably that didn't quite go that way. I think if they'd have taken those, it's easy for me to say, but I think if we'd have taken those steps, we were making linear progression. And I think for a club like Birmingham, that's what you have to do. You can't just jump to the next level. You cannot do that. It's impossible to do. You have to just make a linear progression each season. And sometimes that might take two, three seasons. And you know, I don't know whether certain ownership groups might not be patient enough to do that, but that's the only way you can do it, in my opinion. You can't just jump to be a top team in the championship. You know, even spending fifty million, you know, you can waste forty of it. You know, and 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 not get the not get the rewards or the culture right because culture is so important. So I think that was the next level, and I think you know, if I'm being honest, you know, we 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 wanted to get to that next level. I felt there was a great opportunity to get to that next level. But I suppose at that time it probably started to be less less easy to do the day-to-day -day job and less easy to move forward with clarity, you know, just because um, of, of, of a number of things. So, so yeah, it, it, it was a really pivotal pivotal time. I think when you look back, you can you can see some of the steps that were made next, and you can see how maybe you know there were some of those mistakes that were made, um, and there were things that we'd preempted a little bit. There were things that you could see. If that happened, it wouldn't work. You know, you can just tell the culture and you can see what, what what's going to happen. So you weren't necessarily stunned when uh, when when the call came that that you'd, you'd lost your job. Then did 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 you know before the Ipswich game? Uh, no, I didn't know that before the Ipswich game. It was actually quite quite funny in some ways because I got a call the next morning. It was a day off. I was due to I was due to have a meeting in in um, in Derby on Pride Park actually with a, with a financial company, just for something I was doing at the time. I, I, I look back, I can't remember if it was Jules that rang me and said, the owners are over, they want to meet you. Um, so I said, Jules, I can't, I've got a meeting. No, they want to meet you at 11 o'clock. 
So I thought, so, so my, I, I hung up and I said, well, can you get them to do like maybe one o'clock? And uh, my missus said, maybe you should just go. So I cancelled my meeting when. I wasn't sure what it was about. There were things at the time that, that you know, I think it's always easy, you know, when, when, the, when people in football are outraged by the decision. But usually when you're on the inside, you can see certain things that you know, you know there's little things going on. Like I'd just been, I mean, again, you know, I'd just been offered a new contract, but I turned it down for different reasons. It wasn't because I wanted to leave. There was this thing around at the time that I wanted to leave or I was speaking to other clubs or whatever. But, you know, it's really simple as a manager. I had a clause in my contract that if a club paid it and I wanted to go, I could go. Nobody could stop me. So if I wanted to go, I would have gone. You know, it's really, really simple. And there was a lot of outside interest from from other clubs because we'd done a good job. But So I turned up at the meeting and, and um, you know, there were, there were two representatives from the club and not the new owners. Um, and they gave me the news, and 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 I understand it because they want to do it in, they want to do it to your face, they want to do it in person because a lot of managers, you know, they, a club doesn't want a manager. To say, they sacked me by text or they sacked me over the mm. phone. So I understood it wasn't as easy as being open and clear. Um, and the only thing I asked at the time is they had all the staff at the training ground, and they were going to tell them straight away. And all I said to them is, look, at least give me the decency to go and tell the players and go and tell the staff myself. So I drove from the ground over to Wast Hills, told, told all the lads who were in a little bit of shock, told the staff. Um, and that was that. You know, that was, that was kind of how it was done, obviously. Um, you know, I can't go into too much detail, as I'm sure you're aware. But, but um, yeah, that was more or less it. So it wasn't – it was a shock to a certain degree, but it wasn't completely a shock when I look back. And, and, you know, I think I made mistakes around that time as well. I'll be, I'll be open enough to, to – to admit, I think there were mistakes I made. I think maybe I could have been a little bit more patient and dealt with it in a different way. But we wanted to get to the next level quickly. And when you want to do that, sometimes you end up battling things rather than try to, you know, accept certain things are out of your control, really. Because obviously Birmingham have just gone through that managerial change where perhaps the excuse from the ownership group was that they weren't aligned with the manager. Is it, I suppose, is it hard to... to to understand that because you're the manager, you probably feel like you know the the route to, to progression. But then the new guys come in and they probably want it, you know, tomorrow. You know, look, I, I think I've always said the same thing. If you're an owner and you spend a hell of a lot of money on buying a football club and trying to move a football club forward, and like any business, you have the right to make your, the decisions you feel are the right thing. You know, I don't mean anyone would tell any of us how to spend our money. Mm. Part of my missus, to be fair, she's very good. At it. Um, but so, so I think it's difficult to criticise decisions, you know, because I think most decisions are made in the, with the right intention. I think the challenge, I think the challenge for Birmingham, from my perspective, is that with the new ownership, it seemed from, and I, and I can only judge things from afar, of course, you know, when you're not on the inside. But it seemed like they've made some really good decisions. It seemed like. Uh, the PR and the stuff that was said in the press has you know, put the club in such a positive place and put the fans in such a positive place. Um, but, you know, it felt like they could have just rolled forward doing what they're doing. And actually, they're in a they're in a really positive period of time. And, and it's been a while since maybe the fans have felt that. So, so, of course, to make the change, you know, and then the change perhaps not working as well as they'd like to, it feels a little bit like back to square one, you know, for the for the fans, and, and and I think that's a difficult thing. I think that you know any any club can go whatever direction they want, but I, but I, 
I think sometimes it's also easy to misconstrue a manager. You know, like if someone like John, probably a little bit like me, where you try to say how it is, you probably don't try to over-egg performances. Um, I remember when I was at Derby, you know, again, I'll digress slightly, but there's context to it. Remember when I was at Derby, you know, we had the top scorer in the division. We scored three or more goals than, you know, more than any other team. I think we're fourth highest scorers in the division. Yeah, I got the same label. You know, it's boring football. And I'm looking at it going, you know, I think that's unfair. I think it's actually unfair. You know, if I look at Blues, John probably had a little bit similar where, you know, you're sensible, you make good decisions, but then people then attribute, oh, that's, you know, maybe it needs to be more exciting. I don't know. And, and actually, to win games of football at championship level, um, with not a top six budget is bloody hard to do. And it takes good tactics and it takes good training and it takes good coaching and it takes attacking football at the right time and it takes playing in a way that the team suits. You know, if you've got a lot of pace in forward areas, you know, take someone like Ollie Burke, for example. You know, if you play possession-based football with Ollie Burke in the team, it's very difficult for him to do actually his attributes are he needs space. So good yeah. management sometimes is putting players in positions where they can excel and they can actually outperform what they do. So, so I get it, but, but everyone's philosophy is different. And, and for me, everyone's managerial philosophy or every club's philosophy is, you know, you're going to be dictated to by results as well. You know, and I think that ultimately, if you win games, people like the football. If you win games and can attack, then even better. If you win games, attack and score loads of goals, even better. But it's difficult for every team to do that. Uh, and, and, and that's certainly something that Birmingham are finding out. It's not easy to to have utopia every game win and finish near the top of the league. Some good teams in the division. Gary, you've seen, you've seen it. This the answer to this question from both sides of the fence, both as a, as a player and and as a manager. Just talk us through some of the the actual practicalities of if you're if if you set up as John was setting up his team in a four two three one to set up to counter attack, then the next day. You've got you're a player. You've got a manager comes in and says, "Right, I want you to make the pitch as big as possible, uh, and we're going to keep the ball and play out." How how difficult is that? As as you know, or what are some of the difficulties that that players would experience doing that? Yeah, well, I think there's I think there's a couple of factors to that. I think one, as a manager, you either go into a club. There's no right or wrong. You know, you either go into a club and you look at the players, and I think sometimes good management is about trying to maximise performance but looking at what the players are capable of doing. You know, you can, if you've got 25 players to work with and you've got to pick 11, the 11 you pick have to be able to do what you want to do. Mm. You know, it's as simple as that, you know, and if they can't, you're, you're, you're asking for trouble. Or you can go in and you can just say, this is how we're going to play and we're going to do it. And you've got to hope for that positivity and that structure and that, you know, almost bloody mindedness drags the players with you and actually they, they just get it and, and they do it. So there's two ways of doing it. And different managers will have different approaches. You know, certainly I would go for the first one. That's how I've always seen it. But then I've never had promotion out of a championship, so I can't say that the other one's not better. But from a player, look, I think most players do the same. We've seen it before. A manager can be as popular as you want. You know, the day I walk out of Millwall or Birmingham or Derby, you know, the next day players are laughing and joking and they're trying to do the best for the new manager. That's just how it works. And they'll all say the same things. This is great. We're really loving working with this manager. You know, everyone says the same things, don't they? Come on. It's, it's, as a player, I don't think it's an issue. I think you take on board 
any ideas, but also as a group, sometimes you know what you're good at and you know what's got you to where you are over a long period of time. And, and um, you know, sometimes it's hard to flip too much. I mean, you know, for Birmingham, let's take Birmingham, for example. Again, I'm not, this is not me being critical of a style of play, but I watched, oh no, when we played, when we played you guys at, at St. Andrews earlier in the season, I think we, you know, we, we put Ruddy under a little bit of pressure on goal kicks and a couple of them, you know, he wasn't as accurate as he, I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper, got great stature, great size, makes big saves, you know, commands his box. But then, you know, asking him to play intricate football out from the back might actually put him under a little bit of pressure and might actually be something you can't do. Look, it might be something he's brilliant at. He's an experienced keeper, but I'm just using an example. If you're asking him to build up from goal kicks and take massive risks, that might be something that's really difficult. And, and um, you know, if you're going to put a player under pressure like that, you might not get the right performances from them. So so I think it's it's trying to not take players out of their comfort zone too far and it's trying to do something that they can build their confidence doing. You know, and that may be why, you know, Wayne's comments after three games were, look, I've spoke to the players, um, you know, and, and maybe we have to adjust one or two things. So I don't want to judge any manager. I don't want to judge any style of play because that's not, that's not for me to do. And I've been on the other end of it. Yeah. Um, but it is difficult sometimes as a player to completely flip and play away if they're not capable of doing it. And I suppose that's the debate. I'm not saying they're not, but that's the debate as a, as a manager and as a player, really. I know as you've you obviously played against Blues in beginning of September, I think, and it was a 1-1. I know you'll have done a lots, lots of analysis and things of the team before you play that game, but do you think Blues have the players now to play this way that, you know, Rooney wants and that the other managers, this expansive brand of football that, you know, Rooney thinks can get them out of the league? Yeah, uh, look, I mean, my, my opinion probably is that, you know, if you're going to try and take on... Leeds, Southampton and Leicester in a passing game of football. Mm. You know, my theory is you're, you're probably always going to lose that. Um, you might well be able to beat a lot of the other teams in the division and, and get you in that mix. So it's difficult. It's a difficult question to answer. What I would say is if I look at Blue's squad, the first thing you look at, they've got lots of, you know, first thing that struck me when we played them, they've got good energy. They've got mm. good energy, they've got good athleticism. When you look at, you know, particularly one of the strengths early season, I felt was, and I didn't think it would be actually looking at it, but it, but I think watching them play Sunjic and, and Bielik in the heart of midfield just gave them a little platform. But if you're asking them to go and play high up the pitch and then, you know, be, uh, lots of space around them, I didn't think that was probably their strengths. I think they're the two type of two players that can sit in there and give you a nice base, but they're probably going to sit a little bit deeper and then that energy is probably going to mean that, you know, your strengths are, you're probably going to end up being a little bit of a counter-attacking team because of the players you've got in the side. I think any team can, I think any team can adjust. I think any team can change style. Uh, it's difficult for me to turn around and say, I think this team is X because obviously my opinion's not really valid, um, you know, in terms of what another manager's trying to do. But I think you look at the strengths. Of t- uh, for me, I don't think there's anything wrong with being, a, I think there's different ways to be a front foot attacking team. I think you can go and press teams to death where that athleticism um, helps. I think that's difficult to do in every game in a championship because I think good teams play through you. And I think this season, if you look at the division, the division is very different. There's a lot more possession-based teams. I mean, it's very, very hard to press teams high up the pitch for long periods of time. You know, but you can try and do that. I think you can be an exciting counter-attacking team. I think if you look at the Premier League, 
I think Liverpool are very different to Man City. Mm. I think Chelsea are very different to Tottenham. Um, there's different ways to spin a trap, but I think all of those teams are very exciting to watch. So, so yeah, look, I don't think you have to be one for you or another. Um, I think that's down to the manager and you based, you're judged on results and, and what people think of the performances. There, there, there is a theory that's kind of um, that's come from this managerial change and you, you can probably answer it more generally, but that transitional teams don't do as well in the championship, that they don't get promoted, that it's the, promo- the promoted teams are the ones that play the better football, that play through the thirds and press high. Yeah, because most of those teams that come down have got the mm. money to do that, have got the players to yeah. do that. My, my theory, I can only answer it on my, my theory. My theory was always, let's say you've got a 12th best budget in the division, which you know certainly we didn't have in my time there. You know, I think the budget would have probably doubled since that time. Um, let's say you've got a 12th best budget. You've got to be a damn good team to compete in, in the top echelons of the championship these days. So, so for me, you always had to find something that was different. What can be our strength? What could be something that we can be better than every other team at doing? Now, you take someone like a Sheffield United. Sheffield United weren't a possession-based team. They were a front-foot, all-out, attacking, you know, energetic run teams into the ground type of team. You know, if you look at Leeds this season, you know, they've got so much pace in wide areas with Dan James, Somerville, players like that. And they are actually, if you watch them, they're actually a counter-attacking team mm-hmm. and they're very, very good at it. You look at Southampton, they're a possession-based team and, and, and so are Leicester. And Leicester are a little bit in between, actually. Everyone wants to play beautiful football. Everyone wants to get a team out of the division. But you have to be capable of doing it. And, 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 you know, there's an ideology and there's an ideal and there's a realism. And you've got to try and find the balance in between, in, in my opinion. Um, but again, that's not me talking about Birmingham. That's me talking about any team in a mm. championship. I mean, you also have to find a little bit of something that, you know, the, the, the fan base needs or wants. You know, for example, when I'm at Millwall, you know, Millwall don't want 20 passes at the back. Millwall want quick football and ball going forward. So I think you also have to fit a little bit of that into the culture of, of what's required. Um, there's no doubt there's no doubt nowadays that there's a first for possession football, there's a first for playing out from the back, there's a first for you know that type of football a little bit more than something a little bit more pragmatic. So I understand most clubs and most players going into it, that's a that's a narrative that everybody wants to wants to try to show and, 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 and extol. But I think you want to win games and you want to be in the top six. And, you know, let's take Birmingham, for example, whatever John was doing, you know, whatever that was, I, I don't know, but they were fifth or sixth in the league. So, you know, to a certain degree, it was it was working well. And that's, that's just me looking from the outside. It's not a criticism of anyone. That's just, you know, he's obviously doing a very, very good job. I know you've watched a lot of football in the Championship this season as well. Who... who... Are you backing? Who do you think are the, the main contenders for promotion? Well, I think Leicester, obviously. I mean, if you look at their mm. squad, Leicester squad's fantastic. But I think also Moresca's done a done a tremendous job. I think they've got a lovely balance. They've got strength. They've got power. And they've got technicality. You know, if, if you're the Leicester manager at the moment, yes, you've got to coach them. And yes, you've got to create that synergy. And that's a really difficult thing to do. But you can press high up. You can drop in and counter-attack. You can play possession-based. You can play whatever you want and you've got a chance because you have a real balance there. And I think you look at the the other teams that promote, promote that have been relegated. It's actually hard to see past those teams. 
Mm. I think Leeds have got, you know, the quality amongst, you know, they've kept all their Premier League players virtually. And I think Southampton also slowly but surely. I think Russell Martin, you know, again, there's no right or wrong. He's got a brand of football that he he lives and dies by. You know, he finished sort of mid-table in the championship with Swansea, has a great opportunity because of his culture and philosophy and and looks as though bit by bit, you know, that's going to get his Southampton team up and around it. So fair play to him, you know. I don't think there's any right or wrong, you know. But if I look at those teams, it's hard to see past those teams really um, at the moment. I think Ipswich have done a brilliant job as well, but it's like anything, I suppose. I'm like everyone where you think, wow, if they can keep doing that all season, then that is incredible, you know. And they're probably the one that, you look at their squad, it doesn't look like a top-end championship squad. But, and they've played good football, but they've played a blend. Um, you know, and they've, they've probably been the most impressive, whether they can get promoted. Obviously, it's a long, old season in the Championship and, and uh, many, many things can play a factor. Yeah, they are very much the outlier, aren't they? Um, and just finally, Gary, the last question, bringing you to a, another outlier, outlier uh, a man you'd have known when he was a child. Uh, what have you made of Jude Bellingham's uh, rise to the, the very top of world football? Let's, let's not let's not or let's call it for what it is there's not many people playing better football on the planet than jude at the moment no it's incredible i mean you know i know i know christian speakman quite well and, and when when i was at blues um you know there was this big push for you know jude and and, and joe were so good in the academy and they stood out so much uh, and they used to bring him down to me you know again i'm not one of these going to jump on the back of ellingham's career because it's been fantastic and you know but he used to bring him down to my office on a match day sometimes and and it was all about, you know, this kid's going to be special, you know, particularly Jude, Jude in particular. Um, and at the time, I think every top club in Europe had watched him. And this is when he was like 13 or 14. You know, I couldn't say at that point that I knew because I didn't. And I hadn't seen loads. I'd seen little bits of his footage and he looked a, a tremendous player. But I think, the, I think the bit that's impressed me the most and impressed everybody the most is every little challenge. He's just took it. He's took it so easily. Um, you know, and he looks so comfortable. I mean, who, what kid goes to Real Madrid at 18, 19 years old and, and becomes their best player almost and their standout player within two or three months? You know, most people take time to settle. Most people have a wobble in their career. Most people have a little bit of uncertainty. But he just seems so confident and so, and there seems to be such a great support group around him, you know, with his family that they just seem to make good decisions, which, We've seen so many players make poor decisions because of, you know, agents' advice or external advice or external pressure or financial pressure or whatever that is. But, but they seem to just be doing all the right things. So, yeah, look, you know, if he can stay fit and he can stay healthy, um, then, you know, he's going to be, and, if, and he already probably is, one of the best players in the world at this current moment, which is crazy to think that when he first broke it. I remember when Blues retired his shirt and I thought, wow, that's a strange thing to do for a young lad who's done nothing in the game, really. has played very few games. I think even Jude said that. But, but when you look at it now, whether you agree with the decision or not, I think it shows how people knew how good he was going to be. And, and, you know, he's only at the start of his career, so you don't want to go overboard and you don't want to give him too much praise. But, um, you know, it's great to watch. And, and it's nice to see a, a young boy coming through the ranks of Birmingham uh, becoming such a, a global star so yeah long may it continue gary thanks very much for your time really appreciate your thoughts and your insight 
Alex, thank you very much for your time and thank you everyone for listening as well. Um, it's been really, hope you agree, it's been a really interesting and insightful uh, interview with Gary. Uh, looking forward to seeing you back on a championship touchline somewhere soon, somewhere soon, Gary. Cheers, guys. Yeah, appreciate the time. Enjoyed it.